Welcome to the IP2 Podcast. I'm Shay Ashby, and as always, I'm joined by Felix Chung. We are honored to be joined by the runner-up of the recent Battle Hardened Las Vegas and our first repeat guest on our podcast, Andrew Padleski. Welcome back. Hey, guys. So happy to be back. I love this podcast. This is your third time on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Is it still as fun or sorry, exciting to be on the podcast as it was the first two times? Absolutely. I got nervous. I had to make coffee. I was so excited. I wanted to go to bed early, just getting home from Las Vegas today, but I had to stay up. It's too exciting. Fair enough. Appreciate it. So we're going to start with, I guess, um, heading out to Las Vegas, uh, starting with you, Andrew. When did you head out to Las Vegas? I went out Thursday after work. I worked a half day until noon, and then it was like rush home, grab everything, shower, eat, change, and then to the airport. And I got to Vegas around like 6 or 7 p.m. local time. Okay. Was there anything on the docket for you on Thursday? Well, I have two American video game friends that I kind of made this whole vacation plan with to meet up with them in Vegas. I haven't seen them since 2017 and some magic events. Okay. And then also traveling with Thomas and Karen from Alberta. So it was very exciting to try to like get there, meet up with the whole gang, see everyone again, and you know get food and just start experiencing Vegas. Okay, cool. And what video game did you, I don't know, meet them or play with them? It kind of became some of everything. At first, I met this absolute delight of a person named Anthony because of Magic the Gathering through some friends that I had met playing like StarCraft 2 online and mm. Counter-Strike and just all the games. And that led to meeting the other beauty, Reese. And we will get into that too, because I know you guys are going to ask me what I got up to in Vegas. And Reese has <laughs> been to Vegas four or five times. And he was just the most amazing tour guide anyone could have asked for. Awesome. And Felix, you went out a little bit earlier than Andrew. Yeah, I was able to scout things out a little bit. I went down on Wednesday. Um, yeah, just uh, scouted out the, the venue. It was pretty nice, actually. I'm not used to seeing hotels of the size of what they come in in Vegas, like 2,000 rooms or something. Yeah, And I don't think the Westgate, which we stayed at, was uh, by by any measure one of the biggest in las vegas so it was a bit of a shock i know they always tell you be prepared las vegas is not like any other city in the world but i had never been so definitely it was really cool just to get there see things i you opened up the the airplane door and just a wave of heat and humidity (laughs) hits you like holy yeah i'm not ready for this i'm i'm canadian it's it's a heat that we're not used to yeah. It was bad, like just plus 40 immediately. It was so yeah. bad. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's it was, rough. It was crazy. Yeah, Vegas is an interesting place. Like I've been a few times myself, and it's not just about gambling. For those that haven't gone, there's so many things to do. There's so many sites to see, um, events to go watch. You know, There's obviously the gambling. They have a ton of food there. There is so much to do that if gambling is not your thing, there's a lot of things that you can still do. And it's a very, it's a, one of the best places to go people watch. It's, there's always something happening on the strip. That's exciting. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so one thing that became apparent to me uh, as soon as I arrived at the hotel was that there was another convention booked at the same time as us. And it was the Mrs. America contest. Oh, really? 
which was actually hilarious because this is definitely two cultures colliding. You have the flesh and blood trading card game competitors and at the same time walking side by side by the Mrs. America competitors in their very expensive, very nice dresses and what a there. clashing of two worlds. Right? Oh my <laughs> god. We got there Thursday night and all no. of the glamoured up ladies were in the lobby taking pictures, celebrating everything and there was just trains of fab nerds coming through the doors, their suitcases, their nerdy or their band shirts. They still had like the <laughs> neck pillows around their necks just strolling oh, in. So lost, so completely like just unassuming and taken in by all the bright lights of Vegas. It was very funny to people watch. That's yeah. hilarious. That's the first I've heard of this. I didn't know that the pageant or whatever was going on at the time. That's pretty funny. It was crazy. There was also like some sort of amateur boxing, like nationals competition as well, like in the hall right next to ours. Like it, it there's just so many people. It's always stuff going on in Vegas, man. Yeah. 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 That's right. So on, on Thursday, I also had my, my judge conference. So in the morning, a bunch of us decided to, get an Uber over to the Cosmopolitan and indulge in one of the legendary buffets of Las Vegas. Uh, unfortunately, due to the aftermath of Hurricane Hillary, as I understand it, there was a lot of standing water everywhere and traffic was really bad. So did a lot of running around, still had an epic buffet. The The amount of food that's available in Vegas um, mm-hmm. is is also shocking. It's insane. I, I ate very well when I was down there. Same. It's like going to Mexico and getting like all you can drink. You know, at the first couple of days, you're just taking it all in. And then eventually you're like, I, I'm going to kill myself if I keep up this pace. And you got to <laughs> slow down. Yes. Yeah. Well, at the dinners, these tiny drinks ended up being like 12 or like $21 sometimes. But then we found out it's like pretty socially acceptable to just walk around with like metal water bottles filled with liquor. Okay. And so there was places all over the place where you could just be buying like rum and Pepsi and just, I don't know. There's a lot of things I don't remember. We'll put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So Thursday judge conference, how did that go for you, Felix? Yeah, it was, it was awesome. There were a ton of people, um, we, I, I mean, this is this sounds really nerdy to, you know, voluntarily go to a judge conference, perhaps uh, sit down for four to five hours, just hearing people give speeches about various topics. But I found them to be incredibly interesting. There was one about just common rules interactions in this meta and what to be prepared for. Then I gave my presentation about identifying key aspects of a community and its values and how we can use our authority and our obligation to uphold the values of a community as judges to foster that community. And it's a lot of stuff that we talk about on this podcast. Mm -hmm. So I gave that presentation. Then there, Klaus gave a office hours slash Q&A, which was really nice. And a bunch of the most experienced judges in the room all sat for a panel and a question and answer session, which was also really nice. So overall, really great uh, educational opportunity and saw a lot of people again that I hadn't seen for for many months. So yeah, all in all, a great time and also got a chance to scout out the venue, sent some, some photographs to the people back home, just 
for what to expect. And I think that's when the prize wall got leaked a little bit as well, just showing all the all the big oversized cards that were available mm-hmm. for the weekend. Um, how did your part of the conference go? How did you feel it was received? How did how was it speaking in front of the group of people? Yeah, it was really nice to speak about something that I was familiar with. Um, I got a sense that this was not the type of presentation that was typically delivered at a judge conference. So we'll see what the feedback is. I hope that it was good. I got some very, very lovely engagement after my presentation wrapped up. People just coming to see me and, and introduce themselves and just identify themselves as similar leaders in their communities to to what you and I identify ourselves to be um, and just to, you know, commiserate about different uh, frustrations or successes that they experienced. So I do hope that the people that enjoyed it really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, th- there's a lot of other topics that I'd love to, I'd love to present about one that comes to mind is just um, mentoring. And that's going to be a theme of my weekend you know, how, how to be a good mentor and how to be a good mentee as well. That seems like a good topic for my next presentation if I, I would be selected again. It's interesting to hear you say that it um, you, you got a sense that it wasn't something what people were used to. And kind of as you've described some of the other sessions that you've sat in on, they do sound like they're more technical and mm-hmm. more rigid is not the right word, but they have a sense of, um, you know, things you can do to improve this and that and the other thing, whereas our approach to the community is a bit more holistic and a bit more through feel and through experience. Yeah, ex- exactly. So I, th- I think it's good for a conference to have a variety of different topics uh, and, and also just to make sure that the conference itself is not too dry. Because if, if you just listen to <laughs> rules interactions for five hours, you're probably yeah. going to fall asleep. It's uh, yeah, probably not and the best. Did you get any in-conference engagement while you were speaking? Or was it just like you delivered your your speech and then left? So as a presenter, I am very, very engaging with the audience. Like I'll always ask for a show of hands. I okay. think a really good icebreaker actually is if you just ask people to raise their hands and say, hey, who here? has played in an armory once per month, once per week, twice per week. And then you just kind of see the distribution of of how often people play. And it, it helps people engage with each other, just look around to see, hey, it's like I play twice a week, but so do half the people that uh, are in the audience with me. Uh, just to establish some common ground with, uh, with the audience and to to reinforce that they share a lot of common ground with each other because we're a lot of us are not just judges we are also players that care a lot and that that was a big theme of uh of my presentation no oh, awesome yeah my yeah. icebreaker is usually fat penguin That's, i just uh, thought i'd say something that breaks the ice very good <laughs> hey <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, there's nowhere to go after that that's no. going right to the end of the episode <laughs> uh, so i guess andrew what did you get up to on thursday 
Oh, man. I, I'm i having such a hard time remembering the differences between Thursday and Friday. Yeah. That's the, that's the only part, while I was writing some notes here, I just can't figure out which day was which. I can hop into the story this way, though. One of these nights, we went on just the absolute tour of the world with Reese just leading the way. Um, I remember like four or five Ubers and tram rides. And we went to the Taco Bell Cantina and got these really fun giant Blaha Blast drinks in these long cups. And then there was the Miracle Mile Mall and all up and down the strip. And we went to this New York, New York place and rode a roller coaster late at night. was so much fun. And there was the Bellagio and the Luxor Pyramid. And we ended up down at the M&M store and trying to get in the Coke store, but it was closed. And some big Excalibur casino. And there was just Uber to casino to casino to casino, just looking at all the... Because some of these buildings, like, I'm not really going there to gamble, but they're such a cool site to look at. Such a huge building, the architecture, all the the cool things they have. It was so fun. Yeah, that's the south end of the Strip, if I recall. That reminds me of, like, I don't want to say my childhood, but I did (laughs) do Vegas a couple of times as a kid. And we stayed in the Luxor, so we got to see, like, medieval times. Um jousting and fighting and having dinner and then going into the Luxor and you know the the giant lightning that you can see from space and riding the New York New York uh roller coaster that goes on the outside of the hotel is pretty rad that's it's such a fun part of the strip so that was that was a good night that must have been Thursday because we went to this sushi restaurant as well like at 11 o'clock at night just blasting this like club music (laughs) just like red blue and green lights and oh man man downtown or strip vegas is is quite the time Mm -hmm. it's like each of those hotels or resorts are so impressive that just walking through them is like a vacation like i again i'd never been to vegas i didn't really get the chance to explore very much number one it was way too hot number two just a packed itinerary but even just walking through the cosmopolitan and then there was another one like it was a beach, like a tropical themed one. I forget the name, but treasure Island. Yeah. Yes. That's the one. Like the inside looks like you're outside. It's yeah, crazy. Awesome. Like what's happening. That's I'm not so cool. used to this stuff. Did you guys end up getting to see any of the shows at nighttime that they do? Like the treasure Island show or the, is it the Bellagio that has the water one with the music? I forget which one that is. Mirage. I ended up on Fremont street on Monday night. And so there was all sorts of almost like street performers all up and down the street. And then at a certain time at night, the whole ceiling in there, they kind of have it looking like the sky is all just like a giant LED screen. And there was like the Fremont Street experience with this whole like light show and music and this, you know, guy doing flips and juggling upside down and just like all his body weight resting on his head on top of like a bottle of whiskey, like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was the most <laughs> Vegas thing I've ever seen yeah. in my life. Did you do the zip line while you were there? I did not. We were walking towards it, and then we saw people zip line over top of me, and it seemed pretty short and not very fast. Okay, so yeah, fair enough. Didn't seem too worth it. Yeah, the roller coaster was good though. Yeah, Andrew, we're we're approaching Friday, which is when the tournaments start, and just yes. to to back up a little bit. Did you prepare for the weekend at all as a player for either the CC events or 
any of the side events or the battle hardened? I have been focusing on CC and playing Lexi specifically for quite a few months really hard, messaging mm. friends from all around the world, changing the list constantly, getting other people's opinions on it. Um, pretty much just all CC. And then um, we did just have like skirmish season where I was playing a lot of my chain list in Blitz. And chain is something that I have probably put the most time into in this game and have been playing since 2021 so that kind of counts too as some preparation right. towards the battle hardened so rolling up to the event did you feel like you were prepared for for what lay ahead yes i thought so and i thought i had a pretty good grasp on the meta too i was expecting a really heavy amount of lexi bravo and dromai and that is what I played in on Friday, um, in the PTI event. I played so many Dromais and Bravos in a row. I think I played five Bravos, actually, in the PTI wow. event, which was really frustrating. But so, um, how did I, that I, go? I finished 28th place and got 200 tickets. I think I ended up 5-3. and three, But I was okay. kind of frustrated with it. I don't know. Bravos really tough sometimes. <laughs> Are, are, were a lot of the Bravos on like a super defensive fatigue plan against you? No, it didn't really seem like it. It seems like, yes, they have like the six defense reactions and mostly all three blocks, but they're, you know, blocking when their hand isn't so great and trying to send over a massive on hit effect almost every turn in a row if they can. Yeah. Or at least, you know, it's make a seismic surge and swing the hammer and block some and then next turn big red attack back and forth. Lexi has a really hard time blocking some of this stuff and it can be very frustrating when every turn is like spinal crush, starstruck, spinal crush, crippling crush. And then you see a command and conquer and you're like, oh, finally something chill that I can block with two cards and then you get pummeled. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's classic Bravo. He's uh, when when things line up, they line up really well, and when things don't line up, then usually he can just block twelve and and try again. Yeah. So that was your Friday. Uh, what about you, Felix? What were you doing on Friday? Yeah, I was actually judging the PTI event primarily. Uh, I was assigned to the side events team that day and yeah just a, a lot of fun usually sides is a pretty chill assignment compared to being assigned to the main event but the fact that the pti event which is technically classified under side events and it is run under competitive rel mm -hmm. the fact that that event got 160 players wow uh, basically diverted a bunch of the judges that were penciled in to run that true side events um over to the pti so i right. was one of those judges i was not expecting to to be on the pti but that's where i ended up and yeah it was a good just um opportunity to get used to that level uh because the calling which i was on on saturday would be the same rel uh the same format and yeah, it was just fun to see the day go by. Um, there were some hiccups at the beginning from an organizational standpoint, just again, because we weren't expecting to have so many people involved yeah. in the tournament, but uh, that got resolved pretty quickly as, as the day went on. And it was just fun to see actually how many Canadians uh, showed up as well. I wasn't expecting to see so many familiar faces from BC 
and we had the Ontario crew come in as well and three people, three players from Quebec. So just because U.S. Nationals were going on day one, the PTI event seemed to be disproportionately full of Canadians, which was cool. <laughs> yeah, there was there was a lot of them. My buddy Oscar counted up the Canadian flags in the calling after a round or two, and there was 41 Canadian players we counted in the calling. So I was very proud of that. That's awesome. Yeah. So was there any, you were a floor judge on that day then? Yeah, I, I was a floor judge for uh, for PTI. I think okay. um, we didn't have any super advanced assignments because there were only four or five of us that were devoted to that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was it was great. Good uh, good good leadership that adapted pretty quickly to <laughs> to that sudden surprise. Uh, because I think we had a lot of late. Um, late entries like people yeah. didn't sign up online for the event or maybe they couldn't have so it was completely unforecasted how many people turned in their silver tickets i think it was like the hour before the event mm. and like blew up the projected numbers by like three or four times that's cool <laughs> cool well i'll throw this question out to both of you um was there anything spicy or exciting or funny that happened on friday for either of you i guess we'll start with andrew um, I know it's a blur. No, not that I can think of right now. I did want to pay a minute here and give some compliments to watching Felix judge in the, the big atmosphere at a major event. Because, of course, I've seen it at our, our local like 32-person events in Calgary. But seeing Felix judging out there he's like laser focused his work ethic is through the roof like he doesn't even want to take a sip of water he's not looking at his phone he's just walking up and down the aisles just looking at players even when like the calgary group comes over and they're like oh my god it's felix like hi he will like maybe at the very least give us like a nod of acknowledgement and then straight <laughs> back to like hard work up and down the aisles like I've had so many friends who are judges in TCGs through the years at these large events, and they will they'll come up and chat with their friend group while they're just kind of waiting for a judge call that might occur or a hand to raise across the room. But Felix, every time I saw him, also on Saturday, also on Sunday, he's just marching up and down between the tables, looking back and forth between each player, like watching every game like a hawk. And the judge calls, I got to watch him take care of too because I was sitting next to the player or what have you. He handled really professionally, I'd like to say. Well, I, I appreciate that, Andrew. These uh yeah, I I really I, I don't know, it's it's tough. I, I really get in work mode when I'm judging. And I I hope at a local level as well as at these big event levels. I think, yeah, just professionalism is incredibly important. And you you never want players to to have any question during the calls. Um you know, even if it's someone that you know or or not, that uh, you you just always want them to be very confident that the calls are are impartial and appearances matter a lot. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> in some cases. Um, but yeah, no, thanks a lot for that, Andrew. Yeah, I was impressed. Anything that you'd like to recount on the Friday, Felix? There were just a lot of really cool decks. Um, so. Friday was the first glimpse I got um, personally seeing the, what do we call it? Like the three for seven briar or fatigue briar or mm -hmm. I don't know, 
Ira Breyer because that's really <laughs> the consistency that she gets uh, value out of her hands. Um, so there was one of those near top tables. And I, re- I remember seeing that deck for the first time, just not really knowing what was going on. I'm like, huh, this is weird. Like another rogue deck, but it kept winning. So that was cool. <laughs> and there was a really, really good Kano player. Um, that ended up winning the entire PTI event as well, just getting to see some of those games. And I took quite a few judge calls uh, involving Kano mm-hmm. as well, just, um, you, you know, just people not being aware of, of certain interactions. Uh, but but yeah, it was just a pleasure to see all those different decks. Um, I think there was a Reiner way up there as well. Just a lot of cool decks that can yeah. shine in something like a hundred sixty person event, like like the PTI event. It was yeah. a lot of fun. Very cool. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll move into the I guess the main part of the weekend. So Saturday was day one of the calling. Andrew, if you want to give us a little bit about that, that would be nice. Yeah i uh, I registered Lexi for that. My confidence was pretty high. Round one, I beat a Dash. Round two, I beat Alexi in the mirror. And I was feeling pretty good. Round three, I got paired into another Lexi, somebody who I recognize to be a pretty good player. I win the dice roll and choose for him to go first. I draw my first four cards, and it's three three of a kinds and a rain raisers. <laughs> and he just starts attacking me out of nowhere. He goes like Falcon Wing plus one attack. I can't block that. And then he goes a Frost Lock, I think, fused. So I have to block with two of the three of a kinds. I have a very poor three of a kind Rain Razor's turn on my next turn. And things were just not looking good at all. So I kind of chose to race him as quick as I could because so many of my power cards are gone and he hasn't seen any of his yet. So I should probably end it sooner than later. And yeah, the terrible luck just continued through that game. It was pretty frustrating. Um, the next round, I get paired into a very good Dromai player that I saw on the top tables all the way up until the end of day two. I think he came very close to top eighting the calling. I uh, almost made him run out of cards, and he pitch sacked like a very, very strong last eight cards that just I couldn't do anything about. Um, And then in the 2-2 bracket, I lost to some Azuris that I just, it's just such a bad matchup. I don't know. I don't know how to deal with Spider's Bite into Sensor, name three of a kind. It's just unbeatable. (laughs) (laughs) So I I dropped from the calling and I joined a Blitz, like Super Armory or side event or some sort of like five round double the prizes sort of thing. Um, And I'm actually so, so happy I did this because I run into some very good players that are practicing for the Battle Hardened tomorrow. Yeah. And I lose to a Kano within like a minute because in my sideboard cards, I have like Spellvoid 2 and a Vexing Quill Hand and I'm trying to draw Oasis Respites. And Mm -hmm. I think I like Soul Shackle one away. And so because of this learning experience, I think I go like 4-1 in this event. Um I changed my sideboard drunk in the hotel room that night. <laughs> As we do. Like, yeah, we're not going to try <laughs> drawing Oasis Respites anymore. I don't need this Vexing Quill Hand for anything. So I just added um, all the Shroud of Darkness equipment, like yep. the Spellvoid 2 type equipment. So now in Decano, the game plan is just to play Spellvoid 8. <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> but 
I'm just so happy I did that because then the next day, of course, I play like five Kano's and it pays off tremendously. And Felix, what part of the, are you doing the calling or are you working on side events on Saturday? So I was on the calling. I was part of the end of round team working with um, Fred, very, very good friend uh, and Canadian JCR, but also with uh, Logan and Kirby, who I worked with in Indianapolis um, and team led by Steven Zwanger, who was either the head, I think he was the head judge at calling Indianapolis too. So really, really good good team uh, that I was very, very happy to, to work with. But before I move on, Spellvoid 8 sounds absolutely terrifying. Like, (laughs) (laughs) What do they do? I started 28 life. They start at 15. That's that's crazy. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Felix. Were you able to track um, our local Alberta brethren throughout Saturday at all? Yes, I was. And I got to tell you, one of the most stressful things about judging is watching all your friends go up and down the table order while being helpless to help them and also having to retain that appearance of professionalism. Neutrality. <laughs> because, uh, exactly. Because as, uh, as Andrew said, like, you know, I, I do my best to be incredibly, you know, poker face throughout it all yeah Yeah. and 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 yeah at at the same time when when you do see your your teammates or not not your teammates but your friends get a bad hand or or not it's it's tough to to watch sometimes so i i do my best just to keep my same walk pattern just uh go back and forth uh the same way try not to rubberneck look at the the score or the the life totals but yeah, tracking huge shoutouts to uh, our Alberta boys, Alex, Jacob, and Lucas. Though all doing well enough to qualify for day two in the calling. Yeah, Alberta had a really good conversion rate, three out of seven, like into day two. And considering that six hundred people registered for the calling, and day two was only like eighty people or something. To, to send three out of seven into day two was truly incredible. Yeah. And yeah. That's amazing. Congratulations to those boys that made day two. That's, that's a huge feat. Yeah. This is the, the, the best showing for Alberta collectively that we've had in, in any major event um, between the battle hearted, which we'll get to and, and the calling. So at, at the end of the day, you know, when, when you take your judge shirt off and, and all that, then, that's when you breathe your big sigh of relief and uh, and go celebrate with with the with your friends. Yeah. So I guess before we move into the reason why Andrew's here today with us, um, did either of you want to say anything more about Saturday? No, I don't have anything else. Saturday was a big day. It was um, big. Shout out to the cosplay competition. Actually, um, true. It was my shift had ended. I was absolutely dead on my feet. But it was just as the cosplay competition was getting started. Okay. So there were there was not a seat available that had any sort of visibility to the stage. But so I, I toughed it out. I stood and it was a blast. Um, 
I mean, there were so many impressive cosplays. Of course, the Data Doll cosplay yeah. that one. It was un- unquestionable. Yeah, the the level of difficulty and the skill at which it was executed. But so many of the different um, cosplays were awesome. For example, the the female Bravo. Um, the player actually played in the calling and seemed to be doing pretty good. She was mid mid tables usually when I saw her, and she mm-hmm. she played in the PTI event as Lita Bell the day before yeah. and seemed I to be doing pretty well too. Played her in the well PTI too. event. Oh, yeah. did you? <laughs> yeah, she was nice. Yeah, that's awesome. And yeah, there's there's the Lexi. Um, I think that was Carolina, yep. and I saw her playing in the calling, and she was actually playing Dash. And every bone in my body wanted to say, you know, ma'am, this is an illegal deck. You registered the wrong hero. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's disqualified. So how many that. hours were you playing for on Saturday, Andrew? Um, Felix, what time did the calling start? Was it 10 or 9? I think it started at 10. National started at 9, calling at 10. Okay. So... I don't know. I just remember feeling like I was going to die there after playing like seven rounds of that and then signing up for the first Blitz event that I thought I could find and then them announcing it's five or six rounds. I was like, oh no. (laughs) Everybody had left me to go for dinner. I'm just alone in this hall just playing these Blitz games. It was too too long. And I kept making the mistake of every night. Like we were staying out till like 2.30 or 3 a.m. every night. I just, the drinks just kept going like... They were some long, long days. Did you stay in the resort that night, or were you out, out? Saturday, I think we stayed in the resort. Yeah. We went to the sushi place in the resort for all-you-can-eat sushi mm. whenever I finished the that Blitz side event. And then, yeah, just all over the place, like playing in the sports bar, chatting with Flake in the sports bar, watching people play poker, watching people play blackjack, like yep. playing Flesh and Blood, just all all over that resort. You really made the most of that vacation. <laughs> it feels <laughs> <Yeah>. like it. <laughs> that's great. That's, that's one of the best things about Vegas, though. Like I've thought about some of the times where I've gone to a few other conventions or events and you come out like you don't leave with everybody. You stick around for whatever reason and you come out and everything's closed and there's nothing around. Whereas at Vegas, you can get dinner any time of day you want and you can, you can stay and have fun and and get the most of it out of your experience because you don't have to worry about getting somewhere before something closes. I think if I, I do have one regret about judging all three days is that my days were pretty structured and because yeah my judging style is very high energy and i'm just going somewhere at all times i am so dead by the time Mm -hmm. i'm i'm done i do not have any energy to (laughs) to go out crawling the strip and all that yeah Uh, there's this meme on on twitter that said you know i i ate at the westgate sports bar (laughs) all three days and survived (laughs) <laughs> Dude, that, that Alex, Alex lived that meme yeah yeah <laughs> the thing is Alex he hated it I he loved hated it. it so much <laughs> I loved it I'm like yeah I just want to grab a burger and fries and then collapse in my room like I'm not here to have all this fancy gotta, stuff you guys gotta bug him about that after the next armory just like hey guys oh, you totally. wanna go to a sports bar <laughs> this is a new meme don't worry we have yeah. we have lots of memes uh, as a community for, for Alex this. 
yeah. for everyone. Yeah. For everyone, yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, so quickly, how how long was your day roughly uh, on Saturday, Felix? Yeah, so so for ten o'clock, my call time was nine thirty, which was pretty late for a judge, which is fine. Yeah. And I wrapped up around six thirty to seven, which is again at at around the same time the cosplay contest started. Mm-hmm. And of course, you get an hour break for lunch and you get a half mm-hmm. an hour to just relax. So, right. Yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So moving into Sunday, the battle hardened. Obviously, Andrew, you've registered chain on yeah. spell void eight for Kano. <laughs> <laughs> Was there any other <laughs> spice in your deck that other chain players might not be aware of? I had two red lead the charges just for any prism players that might be playing Arclight Sentinel. And then I had an invert existence for the chain mirror matchup. And then, I don't know, I saw most of these other chain players playing Swarming Gloomvale and Revel in Runeblood and some other cards that I don't play. But I feel like since having a thousand net plus hours into chain, I've just tried to make it as streamline and consistent and to the point of how i want to play it as possible and so a lot of the cards just kind of do the same thing and apart from the lead the charges there's nothing too fancy going on are you blood at light blood at heavy blood at mid i'd say mid okay yeah other people they delve into a lot of the yellow and blue blood deck cards that i don't like as much i have the yellow rift binds and then blue bounding demigons and blue shadow versers, of course. And mm-hmm. I think that might even be it for uh, blood deck cards that are blue or yellow. Does okay. Oldham not being in the format anymore give you a lot more deck building flexibility? Yeah, and it also just makes me just the happiest camper on the planet. Beforehand, that and Icelander were the only things I couldn't beat. And now that those are both gone, I feel like I should just be a Blitz boy full time and I can't wait. I wish I could play a Battle Hardened every day right now. <laughs> <laughs> so Shay and I shouldn't feel bad when you just knocked us all over in that, <laughs> that Blitz skirmish. No, I, I don't yeah. think so. I think that is above and beyond my favorite deck I've ever found in any card game. And that's yeah. allowed me to just invest bajillions of hours into it. Yeah. And at this point, it just feels kind of like muscle memory. I spent a little bit of time in the Purple Discord Prism channel. Yeah. And they seem to think that Prism's basically unbeatable over there right now. And I find that almost any chain uh, is very difficult as a Prism player to survive. Like, just the husk is so huge. Um, And then... Once he he gets to shackle three, he's just presenting so much damage that I don't even know how you can keep cards. So I always found that chatter interesting. You know, do you think that it's a walk in the park to play against Prism, or is there you know if they draw an arc light at the right time, it'll it'll end you? Or how does that matchup kind of feel? Um, I've always really really enjoyed that matchup. And there were some like RTN PQ seasons in the past where I had to practice that matchup a lot, either as Chain or Viscerai. Um, and so now maybe I just, I've kind of figured out the tricks and I know what to look for. But I do think it's a super favorable matchup for me, apart from 
you know, they can find some pretty cheesy wins with an Arclight Sentinel or back-to-back yeah. Arclight Sentinels towards that mid-to-end game. But now if I find a lead the charge, I can stick it in Arsenal the entire game. And right. it's it feels feels like a very, very, very good matchup. All right. Do you want to start telling us about the Battle Harden experience that you had? Yeah. Um, again, I woke up just absolutely blitzed. I'm thinking, how on earth am I going to play cards today? I've got this, like deck list i made at three in the morning and i'm just like you know chugging gatorade and just trying to figure out how to be a human again and uh stroll into the battle hard my friends are like nah it's easy like you can play chain with your eyes closed you know chain like yeah sure whatever so yeah roll into the battle hardened and um round one i played a ko that went pretty well having so much armor is is pretty sweet yeah um round two i think i played a reinar that went well round three i played a kasai i'm like okay we're getting into the the tier s decks that i'm a little bit scared of and that was very 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 close kasai is scary because it's hard to pick and choose when you want to you know let them leak a damage or two or actually give them a silver token or a copper token whatever it is and then i was trying to remember for a solid five minutes i'm pretty sure i played all chains and kanos the rest of the day just all straight in a row. Like I was saying at that that point when it was pretty clear that I was sitting on table one three or four rounds in a row, it was coming down to three XOs and then me being the only XO, the top table, like for even like a table and a half seemed to be all chain and Kano. There was a one Briar, one Prism, one Ira for a little while, and those people kind of disappeared. Was there any notable players at the top tables in beside you? Absolutely. Looking down the table from me, there was Tyler Horsepool, there was Brody Spurlock, there was Alexander Vore, there was Majin Bay. There was so many people that I didn't recognize, but I, or sorry, I recognized their faces or their jerseys for sure as people that have finished things, but just couldn't put a name to their face. Mm-hmm. Found out later, like, you know, Michael Fang's just in the top eight with me. Um, lots of people in the Magnolia gaming jerseys. I was I was pretty scared. I'm like, man, these top tables are stacked, and everyone is on Chain or Kano. I'm yeah. so scared. <laughs> you've you've been to a few pro tours where you know the hardcore of the hardest hardcore people play. I know you just kind of mentioned that you were scared, but you and I have kind of talked about this a little bit before. How do how did you feel in the moment sitting beside those people? Did it feel like all your hard work is paid off. Were you actually scared or were you like, yep, this is where I feel like all my hours of putting time into this hero, this game have put me and this is where I, you know, I feel like I belong. Yeah. More so that probably. And what I do is I get very excited to play them. Like I was telling Brody that I wanted him to catch up to me because I really wanted to play him (laughs) and, you know, chatting with Tyler Horsepool too, telling him I wanted to play him. Like I, I, I get excited and focused and I'm like, you know, that is the next challenge that I would love to play and overtake. And, and I can tell that, you know, like my chain list and the way I'm playing chain, how fast I'm making these decisions, like, you know, and and the thing, the conversations I'm having with these players too, like people on the wolf pack asking me like why I choose to go first over going second, like people coming up, asking my advice, asking how I feel about, you know, husk versus carapace and, you know, it's starting to feel pretty good. 
Nice. That's a really good headspace to be in. And I think for a lot of people, that's not an easy headspace to be in where instead of being, oh my God, I'm sitting beside Brody Spurlock. Like, yes, let's go, bro. I want a PCU. Like that's a really amazing place. And I think that probably is one of the things that helps you keep playing, performing well at those top tables. My entire life in all of these video games, or even in hockey, I want to be playing against the people that are better than me, or go after the best person in the room, because I find like that's what's going to make me better, and that's mm-hmm. what's going to actually, you know, improve my confidence or my self-esteem by like the stat or the proof of it. And I really like it in Flesh and Blood because there's so much of like the less variance than there is in Magic. Like you know, if I have that like really lucky game in a game of magic where i beat somebody with a really big name but they're just getting mana screwed the whole time it doesn't really do too much to boost the self-esteem or the confidence but there's something different about flesh and blood where i have a very hard fought kind of close game where i beat one of these people and i can look and see that i still have quite a bit of life left and then they start you know asking my opinions or my advice or you know complimenting how i played somebody who top aided the calling i played in the pti event on friday and he sat there for a good like five or six minutes after the game just complimenting like my sequencing and my Mm -hmm. lines and you know why i like used some equipment so early to get tempo and board control against this dromai match and you know stuff it's the little things like that that feel really good to me from from my side of the room as well as the day went on I started hearing actual people chattering about this one chain that was EXO in the Battle Hardened. And it wasn't just the Alberta crew that was congregating in the area. It was actually just people that I had never recognized, um, not from Canada or anywhere, just talking about your performance and you were so far ahead in Swiss. Like, it was actually incredible. Like, yeah. It was a really sweet feeling to be like 6-0 and know I'm locked to top 8. And then I think round 7 I played Majin Bay and won there too pretty handedly with all the spell void equipment. And I'm like, sweet, I'm absolutely just locked for first seed. I'm the only XO left in the room. And knowing I have to play Alexander Vore next probably and being like, yeah, let's go. I'm so excited. <laughs> like probably the best Kano player in the world. Yep. And yep. then winning that one as well. And everyone just started rooting for me. They're like, all right, let's go. It's probably yep. your first or second battle hard. Let's see if you can go 12-0. You, you didn't scoop him in. Nope. <laughs> no. <laughs> just did him dirty. <laughs> <laughs> the ELO, the XP. You gotta, you gotta earn it, bro. No freebies here. Oh, no. That's awesome. Yeah. So you you XO make top eight. Who was your first opponent in the top eight? Uh looking. Don't remember his name. Looking harder. <laughs> his name was Jesse. And he was also playing Kano. And I don't know what happened to the two of us. Just the break to go get our pictures taken, go for a walk, talk to people, set everything up, get ready for the top eight, go to the washroom. We both played the sloppiest games of flesh and blood of our entire lives. Mm-hmm. He, he put out the wrong equipment. I made oh, a huge misplay and then I forgot to do something else like the turn after that and both of us just needed to like kind of put our head in our hands and like breathe for a couple minutes and just like drink some water and just 
laugh. We're like, what are we doing? Those are the weirdest games. I'm I've experienced it and I'm sure other people have you're performing op- optimally. You feel like everything's working as it should. And then out of nowhere, you're like miscalculating pitch blocking with the wrong card or doing whatever. And you're like, what is going on? So yeah. what did you do in the middle of that game to recover from this wild state? I was so on tilt the way that I punted what I did with art of war. I could have got like another like six or seven damage over. And then being on tilt because of it, I forgot to draw with plunder run hitting and I could have put something in arsenal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so double so on yeah. tilt. Um, and him, I think too, was pretty frustrated putting the wrong equipment out just by accident. Um, I really just had to like focus up and play with my hat and look around the room and drink water and just really get back into like the focused mind zone. Like lucky for me in that matchup, I'm still able to just present lethal and then sit and wait and see if he tells me if I win or not with all my spell void equipment. He gets to, <laughs> you know, do the Kano stuff and look at yeah. the top of the deck and then let me know if I won or not. Yeah. Um, so luckily enough there, I was able to take the win and I had to go for like quite the serious walk around the convention center and go to the washroom and splash water on my face. And I'm just telling myself, like, I could have lost that. I deserve to lose that. That is so bad. That can't happen again. Like, that's mm-hmm. how I've lost in these situations so many times before. And so, like, wake up call. Like, thank you so much that I actually punted and still made it out with the win. And so now this needs to absolutely not happen again. So from my perspective during the day... Toward the end of Sunday is when judges start to get released from judge duties and we're turned over to manual labor, which is fine. Like <laughs> nothing like uh, a little bit of mindless tasks just picking to up chairs. close out the day. Uh, not not picking up chairs, but because we work for SCG, we um, you know the chairs and tables are with the convention center, but this is where we start packing away like the the floor like the boards and Standies any and... SCG yeah, specific right. stuff and the table numbers. So I, I remember now I'm, I'm walking with this little dolly cart, like picking up um, the scoreboards from around the room. And Andrew's playing in this cordoned off area. So I'm just walking with my dolly cart, just completely rubbernecking to see how Andrew's doing. And all I can see is, yeah, his head in his hands. I'm like, uh oh, like... Is this bad? Like, is he losing? Like, I can't see anything. Like, my eyesight's terrible. Like, the barriers are quite far back. This is gonna, this is gonna come up again. But yeah, the barriers are quite far back. So I'm just like squinting, trying to figure out what's happening. And then every time I walk around, like it's another five minutes. I'm like, well, Andrew's still there. He's not lost. Like, so yeah, it was very tense for for me. <laughs> A fraction yeah. of what Andrew was going through, but uh, <laughs> yeah. just yeah. A, a bit a bit of a funny story. Is, yeah. Stress through osmosis. That's right. True. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we're into the what is that, semis now? Yeah. And I run into another Kano. And this one I believe his name's Ryan. I believe he's on the wolf pack as well. Um I, I really came into this one with so much more like confidence and focus and I'm awake now. I'm going to send it. 
by the way, I should have mentioned being first seed throughout this entire top eight means I get to choose forever if I would like to play first or play second. Yep. And I think this is a massive advantage into the Kano matchup because I choose to play first and I make my soul shackle and just say I'm going to Arsenal. And if the Kano player activates Kano one too many times, I'm going to just come across with so much damage. The first thing's already going to have go again from me activating Chain. And with the Spellvoid 8 equipment, I'm pretty much just waiting until there's a massive combo piece or until the things are going to be lethal and I get to spend every card in my hand just putting all the gas across the table. Yeah. This is a little bit unintuitive for me, actually, because the, the rule of thumb that I thought was there was you, you always want to go second into Kano. Do you not? You know, I just don't like it if if i go second he might do his kano things on turn one and send quite a few points of damage across and i don't think i'm popping my spell void equipment on anything and like even the one that's like opt x i don't want to have to sit there thinking so hard about am i giving away two pieces of equipment on my turn zero to stop him from looking at the top four cards but alternatively if i go first at least I can punish him from trying to do a couple Kanos. And if they recognize this threat and they don't do any Kanos, at least I get to set up a little bit, hopefully stick something really solid in my arsenal, like a Plunder Run or an Artivore or a Belittle or Shadow Puppetry, something like this. Um, now they're going to have their first turn with their unfiltered hand of four cards, and maybe they'll deal some arcane damage, and then I get to go straight into my Soul Shackle 1 five-card hand and hopefully just present more than lethal since they start at 15 life. Okay, that makes sense. And the fact that, yeah, you're running Spell Void 8, not AB3 Spell Void 2, <laughs> yeah. does change the scales. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> just saying Spell Void 8. Yeah, it's not something I'm so, used to thinking about. Because <laughs> Kano, Kano can kill turn one, turn two. Did it ever feel like, even with the Spell Void 8 and having no AB, that there was chances that you could die because once he once you use those pieces they're gone and then now you're ab0 absolutely there was so many positions where it was very very stressful i've presented lethal on my second turn of the game and now they have to go for it and um i mean i'm sitting there while they're opting and thinking forever and kanoing and putting things to the bottom and ragamuffins hatting and thinking even longer and kanoing again and i'm just sitting there thinking like okay like you know, I've already taken like eight arcane or something. So, yeah. you know, now he just has to deal 20 and I die. Um, also, those three new equipments that have the Shroud 2 or the Spellvoid 2, whatever it is, they also have blood debt. So I kind of have to yeah. be careful not to pop them all and go to three sort of deal. Because um, that can also be quite stressful. So, yeah, there there was definitely some times where I'm just sitting there waiting for them to tell me if I win or not. And they they are you know, banishing like a blue card off the top with Kano. But I, I think it still is a pretty difficult feat for them to find some sort of massive combo for over 20 damage just in the yeah. top four or eight cards of their deck. Yeah, that's fair. Just gotta go fast. Just gotta go. Yeah. So you you get there, and we're into the finals now. Who's your opponent in the finals? In the finals, I have to play Michael Fang, who's somebody I've never had the pleasure of meeting before until now. But 
so nice, so funny. What an absolute pleasure to play against. Um, and at this point, too, the calling is winding down. And so proud of our boys like Alex for finishing 13th place, um, Jacob and Lucas doing so well, my boy Oscar from Montreal getting 17th place. Mm-hmm. Everything kind of winded down to Yuki Lee Bender playing whoever her opponent was in the finals. I didn't really get to see because I was playing, but the crowd just erupts and cheers. I find out Yuki has won. Um, so that's plus one for Canada on events yeah. that aren't U.S. nationals. And now I'm like, man, I really have a shot to 2-0 this for Canada right here. Yeah. Um, but this huge crowd that had accumulated around Yuki all just kind of mills over to my game. <laughs> it's like, oh boy, <laughs> here we go. Um, so sit down against Michael Fang. I choose to play first again. And both of our decks just absolutely hate us. Both decks have just said, like, all right, we gave you, like, 11 rounds of good luck. This is it. <laughs> there is nothing more. So my first hand is the worst I've ever seen in my entire life. And I uh, make my rune chant, my soul shackle, and go to pass the turn. And his hand also must be the worst he's ever seen in his entire life. Because he pitches an invert existence to cast an Artivore for no reason on my turn, just to get rid of these two cards. He's not even banishing anything. He's not drawing more cards. He's just get, needing to get rid of these two cards. Wow. And I look at my hand, and my only attack is a Shadow Aversor. Like, if I have a Shrill or something, I can do seven with Go Again, and then two and two with the Sword, and, like, leak quite a bit of damage through on this turn one. But I have nothing, so I just Arsenal and pass, and his first turn isn't so good. My second turn isn't so good. And then he has quite a large turn. I have to give all of the equipment away. And then I have a turn with... It's four red cards. I have a blue Mauvern's guys in Arsenal. My only attack in hand is this red Bounding Demigon. And then his turn becomes quite face-up because of the two belittles and what he's showing me. And the fact that they both get two red Minoisms. Mm-hmm. So I'm at, I'm at 16. I have one armor left on Grasp. He's presenting 15 damage face-up I can see on, on this first attack that's coming in. And I'm in the tank for so long trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do with these you know, three red two blocks and this bounding Demigon in my hand. And he can present 15 damage, put me to one. I'm going to die to my Carrion Husk and my Banish. Or if I go to three, it's so easy for him to kill me in Arcane with the sword so i have to give two cards here i'm thinking but then even then it's so easy to just die to like a revel or arcane or like the sword and invert existence or something so i have a good like 10 minute think about this so frustrated and in the end i decide to just gamble because we are in vegas i'm going to hit an attack off of my two soul shackles and then i'll be able to play like you know, a Minoism and the Mavrins guys and hopefully play a big attack and then follow it up with the sword for two and two. So I block with the Bounding Demigon and another two block just to save some life, keep the two cards in hand. Um, and he doesn't play the second Minoism, which kind of makes me look a little bit silly. <laughs> just uh, <laughs> It's a very, very good play by him, though, because he knows that, you know, his next turn, he might need it to enable yeah, like, Bounding Demigons from Banish or, you know just buff some things up but i'm sitting there thinking i'm absolutely going to two or three or five at the end of this turn and then he he doesn't play that second minnowism but we go over to my turn of course my two soul shackles do not hit (laughs) i do i do get an invert existence so my whole turn is just swing for two go again with the sword and invert existence 
But to my absolute surprise, he blocks the sword, and then he pitches for the invert existence and stops the arcane. And I'm thinking, like, damn, I'm still in this game. Some other context, too. He had a five-card hand coming up, and he even used the crown to filter one card. So I'm so expecting a huge chain hand to come back across, and then he gives me two cards. And it's like, what? what is happening? His hand mm-hmm. is still so bad. I'm still so in this game. I'm down to such a low life total. His turn's really small again. My turn's really small again. And then I die. It was very, very unfortunate because there's two huge windows in there where if I just have one more attack or just have a blue, I think I take that game really handedly because his deck is also just completely hating him. Or in so much hindsight, because I'm sitting here haunted about this, I've been thinking about this all weekend. I think I'm supposed to give him the two two blocks and like go to four and at least play like, you know, the Mavern Skies, the Demigon, three go again on hit, make a rune chant, swing the sword for two and two. Because, you know, his ha- his next hand was also just so bad, I could still be in that game. Yep. Hey, hindsight Tough. is twenty twenty. There's There's no way you can go back and and call your decision wrong based on stuff you didn't know from uh yeah that that was the the point at which i had been released from my manual labor and just ran over to to join the the gaggle of people that were leaned up against the barrier and just just as i got there i saw the art of war come off the top and the invert existence and my heart just sank into the pit of my stomach not really yeah. understanding the the context of what else had happened but i mean still what what a great game hey like just to be up there to to be in that fight yeah i'm i'm super super proud my goal since starting this game in 2021 a big one has been to win a pti and now i have accomplished that so yeah nothing to be frustrated about there no and that's what i sign up for too though you definitely live by the chain die by the chain you've it's not the first time dying to uh banking on a soul shackle hitting (laughs) yeah not not by a long shot that is that is such an incredible story and i mean when when uh michael showed you the revel at the end and you know you i i heard him say well you know canada at least got one or something like that and <laughs> yeah because i'm making i'm making yeah. jokes with him when i um when i have that really bad sword into invert existence turn and yeah. i pass the turn he just has a three card hand i said okay i really want you to think about canada on this next turn okay i want you to think about snow and syrup and mooses <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> Like, yeah, I mean that that was a surreal moment for us as well because there's such a big groan from our cheering section and I I just remember this stupid waist high barrier like the all I wanted to do was like run over to you but because I'm a lawful good person I like ran like around like one way <laughs> that I I saw how long I would have to run in order for there to be a break in the barrier. So then I ran back and like reluctantly hopped over the barrier. And yeah, Thomas, Thomas Thomas yeeted himself over the barrier so fast. And I thought I heard you like run left, run right, come back. That's the reason. That's the difference between him and me. (laughs) That was 
so funny. Yeah, but yeah, man, still like what an incredible performance. Um, yeah, by yourself getting that PTI, you know, just being up there showing that you belong with all of the best players in in flesh and blood, definitely. And yeah, also for Alex Knott from Calgary, thirteenth place in the calling, again finishing above so many big names in in flesh and blood and he he had the record to get into top eight there was a a 10 and 3 that made top eight just the breakers weren't there for him but yeah yeah, it's a incredible performance for for both of you and yeah like you said you you have a pti got that special play mat did you did you leave your your cash prize in vegas or you you coming back with some I haven't got it yet. They said they'd email me to contact me about how I received that. Got so that's it. still that's still in the mail. That's good. All right. That's good. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Man, just listening to you guys talk about the weekend and being able to even still share stories with each other, like Felix being able to watch your games. I'm I'm so jealous. Um I, I wish I could have been there. It sounds like it was so much fun. Um you know, is there anything else that you'd like to rub in my face over this weekend that you you enjoyed, or you wanted to give somebody a shout out, or uh, an experience you wanted to share at this point? Nah, I wish you were there too, Shay. But there's <laughs> gonna be many, many, many more. You can come oh, yeah. to the rest of them with me. I'll give yeah. you so much Andrew time. <laughs> Sounds good. But, um, I don't know. I, there's nobody in particular I want to shout out. I just love these events so much because through traveling to so many of them i'm just making so many friends all over canada and america and like those other americans i was talking about from the video games like the one friend reese doesn't even play flesh and blood and he still just came to hang out with us and experience vegas and just have a sweet vacation weekend and that's really what it's all about at the end of the day that just makes it so much more fun yeah it was an incredible weekend getting to hang out with the friends that you came down with uh, but also just hanging out with friends that you don't get to see in person very often, which increasingly is many members of the international or at least the North American judge community as well, is is awesome. There was a, there was a nice little staff party um, on the Sunday afterwards. So yeah, I got to hang out with the casters a little bit and you know, the head judges and Klaus and, you know, a, a lot of the people that we've had on this podcast uh, as well. So doing stuff like that is is incredible. And I, I know we're going to have lots of opportunities, hopefully, next year and, and beyond. Um, I guess one, if, if it does alleviate anything, though, Shay, with every event, at least for me, comes a lot of post-event blues or <laughs> post-event depression because... Yeah. You spend a whole weekend just living such a fun life, you know, from high to high to high and coming back to your day job and responsibilities and bills and and all that. It's, uh, yeah, it's tough. <laughs> True. No, I do appreciate it. And uh, yeah, any closing thoughts or anything that you guys wanted to, I guess, add before we wrap her up? No, I'm good. Just thanks so much for having me again, guys. Yeah, massive uh, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations to you. And again, like we've mentioned before to the Alberta crew, it's we're, we're all really proud of how well 
uh, you guys performed this this past weekend here. And ba- barely talked about U.S. nationals, but a massive shout outs to Briar. I guess we'll need to pour one out for for Briar now. Getting getting taken across the finish line with style, with uh, Dread Scythe. Reaping Blade. Reaping Blade. Uh oh. <laughs> Reaping Blade. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to the IP2 podcast. You can find us on YouTube at IP2 Podcast, on Twitter at IP2 Podcast, on Mastodon, IP2 Podcast at Wraith.social. Thank you. would like to interject like andrew's not just here because he had a big result in in the battle hardened yes he is <laughs> no he's not <laughs> we could have grabbed alex yeah we we, we could have <laughs>